uh, and you want to make a living at probably the most noble profession in the world of helping people uh, retire comfortably and save and send their kids to college. Get on it, man. Just get on it. I think we can all say geography is no longer a constraint. So we are seeing some institutions be much bigger and bolder in how they're looking to add to their teams. We might have an investment focus where everybody in the entire bank is focusing on that. We have a corporate call every Wednesday that, to discuss it. We're uh, divided up into different teams with members from each of the areas of the bank. Uh, those teams speak at least uh, once a week, discuss on how they're going to commit to getting referrals to that specific area. And then uh, we discuss it corporately on a call Wednesday with the president and the CFO. Get to know your internal partners in the institution better, the loan officers, right? Mortgage officers, the business lenders, et cetera. Because man, there's such good business there. And you look at banks and credit unions, we have on average a 5% penetration rate of, of our client base. What, 5%? I mean, come on. I got news for you. Branch traffic's been dwindling for the last 10, 15 years, right? It has never dwindled more than it did in 2020. It went away and we all did better as a result. So that's one less thing we could be afraid of, right? We've done a, a big data dive on all of our customers to see uh, what they had with us before they became an investment services customer and what they have now and total footings at the bank and what their cross-sell ratio is. And it's significant. We tracked them two to three years after they bought an investment account and uh, we're, we're a huge hook in the bank. We are seeing a lot more teams being formed within our banks and credit unions. And, and that's started to really become very, very successful. If your mortgage banker or, or business lender trusts you as an advisor, you're going to get a lot more referrals, but you have to earn that trust. One of the things that I think has been really unique, we've always talked about engaging the entire household, but to get everybody to come in has been somewhat of a challenge. So. One of the things I've been hearing from advisors is they've been able to do that in more of a Zoom setting. So you're expanding your reach with the entire household. Do you really know your customers? Do you really know their kids? Do you really know their beneficiaries? Who's going to be their executor? That's when you lose customers if you don't know that stuff. Uh, the biggest complaint I hear from reps is that they don't want to transition their book of business because it's going to cost them revenue. I disagree 100%. You know, say that because I did it myself and I'm coaching and mentoring five other teams to do the same thing right now. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Staffus Mattel Industry Leadership and Success Podcast Series titled Only the Adaptable Survive. This series focuses on industry leading performance success stories, and key business intelligence that will help you meet your leadership objectives. Change has been nonstop in recent years, and adaptability is now the difference between success and failure in our industry. Today's episode is a discussion with six executives with varying perspectives on how adaptability is critical to future success. The discussion covers topics such as the need for strategic change, adapting to reduce branch traffic, recruiting for adaptability, maximizing internal relationships, engendering client trust, and the value of teams. This episode is made possible by support from Cetera, and we would like to thank them for their partnership in producing this podcast. And now I'll turn it over to our hosts, Scott Stathis and Bob Mattel. 
Hello, I am Scott Stathis, and welcome to this episode of Industry Leadership and Success. The title of this episode is Only the Adaptable Survive, and it was inspired by the firms and advisors who have thrived through the pandemic, which amazingly is just over a year old already. Those who have thrived have had record-breaking years during the pandemic. They've proved to be remarkably adaptable and agile, and they've quickly pivoted to new ways of doing business. So this pandemic has really magnified the need to be adaptable. Change has been nonstop in recent years, even before the pandemic, and adaptability is now the difference between success and failure in our industry in a lot of cases. So with that as a foundation for today's discussion, let me have our co-host introduce himself, and he will then have our panelists introduce themselves. Bob? Well, thanks, Scott. I am Bob Mattel, and I am the co-host and co-producer of this podcast series, Industry Leadership and Success. And today we're, we have a really great panel that has hundreds of years of experience, as we'll prove in a second. So let's get right into our, our panel and in, have each person introduce yourself as they call on you. Let's start off with Leanne. All right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. My name is Leanne Rummel, President and CEO of Satara Investment Services. And I've been in the business 30 plus years. And so glad to be here. Thank you so much. So we've got 30 so far. I'm telling you, we will get to hundreds. Let's go over to Jim. Hey, Bob. Jim Nonengard, uh, head of the investment program at Regions Bank in Birmingham, Alabama. We are a Satara program, and we have uh, a little more than uh, 260 financial advisors. And in our eight years with Satara, gotten close to $10 billion in assets under management so far. So some incredible growth. And you've been in the business a while, Jim? Yeah, I may put you over 100 right now. 36 years. Awesome. Since I got Thanks registered. so much. Yeah. Let's move to Rich. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Rich Cole with Investors Financial Group out of uh, Short Hills, uh, New Jersey. Um, we are the investment program for Investors Bank and a client of Satara. Um, we have grown our program to almost a billion and a half dollars in the few years we've been with Satara. Um, I've been in the business for 34 years, so I'm happy to be here. Thanks for the opportunity. Here's some quick math. We have officially hit 100, and now we go to Steve. <laughs> I might get to 200 years. Uh, Steve Nordbeck, I am the uh, producing program manager at Achieve a Credit Union. Uh, I've been in the business 34 years. Uh, we have a little smaller program. We have five advisors, um, about $328 million in assets under management, and um, we're happy to be with Satara. Fantastic. Thanks so much. That's 134 for you, uh, our listeners counting. Let's go to Dan. Hi, Bob. Uh, my name is Dan Severco. I'm with Farmers National Bank out of uh, Canfield, Ohio. I am as well a producing program manager. Um, my program has about $550 million of assets under management. I have six investment teams that, uh, that I work with, a coach and mentor. And my personal book has about $155 million assets. And um, I have a team of four working on that. I've been in the business for 22 years. And the last 20 of those have been happily with Satara. Fantastic. We are getting close to that 200 number. Um, last but not least, Russ. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Russ Harton. I'm the uh, team lead for our growth officers here at Satara, and I've been in the business for 27 years. So that may get us at that 200 mark. Not sure. 
Uh, well, it's a pleasure you, to be with you today. Thank you so much. And as our listeners can see, we have a real great cross-section of, uh, of speakers on our panel today. If you add Scott and I in there in terms of experience, we're well over 200. So let's get this podcast started and let's get to that first question. Well, as you know, the title of this is Only the Adaptable Survive. It only makes sense to start out with a question around that subject. So do you agree that adaptability has been the key to your current success and growth? And if so, how do you as a program manager encourage adaptability among your advisors? Let's start with Rich. Thanks, Bob. Um, great question. And uh, for clarity, we have about 40 financial advisors throughout the footprint. We cover New York and New Jersey, and we bleed into Pennsylvania a little bit via a recent acquisition. Um, it's a great question in that I view it as giving the advisors the tools to become adaptable, right? So when I say that, what do I mean? Well, out of the gate, you know, we'd gone to a laptop model, a plug and play model so that you could be portable regardless of where you did business. And that helped us dramatically during the pandemic. And currently, um, we had the best year in the program's history last year, doing north of, uh, of $10 million, almost, almost pushing $11 million in gross revenue. And we're already on track this year to do north of 13 right out of the gate. So how do you become adaptable? Again, providing the environment where an advisor can be adaptable. You needed to create an environment, again, so you're greasing the skids a bit in terms of some of the operational aspects of how you process business. For example, money movement. That became very big for us, not being able to get to all the branches all of the time. So we put a process in place working with deposit operations, as a small example, where uh, an advisor could email me for approval, where we could take money from a client's account and put it into our trading account to pay for a trade that they processed that day rather than the client had to physically, you know, producing a check or coming in or making a deposit. So that change in procedure was big for us in terms of money movement. A lot of the tools Satera delivers, like client works as an example, is a self-help tool for clients. We engage that more, showed the clients that tool so that they could do some stuff on their own online, but not forgetting the personal touch. We never closed. Uh, clients could call in, take an appointment with our advisor, and we could meet them at the branch on an on-call basis and have face-to-face -face with the appropriate PPE in place. But you started out, I asked the question adaptable, and you just said you had the best year. That's way more than adaptable. You got to give me more on that. Yeah, we, we, um, it, what changed? I mean, the world changed uh, when the pandemic hit. And people's awareness of mortality, their financial goals raised the need for financial advice and coming to experts and saying to them, hey, what do I do about this? I want to retire in 10 years or whatever the case may be. You know, my husband was on a respirator. My wife was on a respirator. I didn't think about what happens and God forbid something were to happen to my significant other. So how do I plan for that now? And that awareness really brought the financial advisors to the front, people realizing that I'm not going to get this kind of advice looking online, Googling, you know, you know financial advisors or financial advice, whatever it may be. Um, I want to talk to somebody that's been in the business. Absolutely. I think it's the awareness, the acceleration, and the adaptability. So I think we've got a lot of things uh, pointing us in the right direction. So Jim, I know you had your hand up, but I was going to call on you next anyway. Yeah, no, Bob, um, those are all 
great points by Rich and uh, a lot of similarities here at Regions. Uh, you know, I, I always look back and say, what did the pandemic do to us? And then what did it do for us? Uh, and uh, people had to adapt or, you know, this is an incentive business and, um, you know, helping customers and taking care of their needs didn't change. That put us uh, in fear and it scared a lot of our people. We had to adapt. There wasn't really a choice. If you didn't adapt, well, they're not here and probably not listening to this podcast. So what it did for us, it expedited a lot of stuff that probably would have taken two or three years to come to fruition. You know, I never thought we'd have e-signature. I just never really did think it'd get to that. Um, but man, we not only that, we're scanning, we're doing all sorts of stuff now. It's it's made a big difference. Uh, you know, we had a, a tremendous year last year, uh, uh, barring the second quarter, which it you know fell off the cliff. The reality is the same as what Rich was saying. Uh, customers' need didn't change. In fact, customers kind of looked within and said, you know, I need to get on this. Financial advisors found a way to serve customers. But here's what also happened at our company. Um, when the branches got locked down, uh, our tellers wearing masks, customers only coming in by an appointment, our branch staffs were stressed, protecting themselves and protecting themselves from their customers and then protecting the customers also, uh, that they were more than willing to have the help of a financial advisor or a private wealth advisor or a commercial lender or a mortgage banker to come in and just help out. And uh, they were very quick to help us uh, with referrals and knew that we could serve the customer, whether we're sitting in the branch or not. We may be over in another branch, quarantined, not being able to talk to a customer uh, face-to-face, but we can do it on this machine. And then we found out we could close business and it just took off from there. Uh, And you want to make a living at probably the most noble profession in the world of helping people uh, retire comfortably and save and send their kids to college. Get on it, man. Just get on it. And I think you summed it up when, when you said did to us, because those that are not adaptable, stop there. You took it the next step and did for us. So that right there in a nutshell tells us what adaptability is. But you know what, Leanne, I think you probably have some more of those technology solutions that you can share with us that a year ago were like, I mean, e-signature was big, right? We had to do that like yesterday. I mean, and it's a year ago we've been doing it. So, so tell us some more. Well, our shared resilience proved strong. Um, As Jim and Rich both said, we accelerated our investment and execution in our technology, and we witnessed the fastest adoption. And a a lot of uh, individuals here on our call today are on our uh, councils as well. We have councils for leadership as well as advisors. And the one thing that really stood out is they wanted e-sign for everything. So together, you know, we adapted and delivered uh, eSign for all the business. We had brokerage already done, but we moved ahead with advisory, with life insurance uh, and annuities. But the fastest adoption we've ever seen was after a month of having the advisory eSign, we had over 80% adoption and that has not declined. Uh, The other thing that uh, we had in the works, but we moved the timetable up, was the annual review process with advisory. And that certainly has made that more efficient so that our advisors can spend more time with their clients. Certainly reflecting back on 2020, it was learning new ways of technologies. I know Jim mentioned scanning apps. 
Many of our institutions were used to being in their branches. So we came forward with a Microsoft Lens app and that worked incredibly well so that they could get us the information in a timely fashion. Our client portal also helped. Uh, clients could scan documents into the vault. Advisor would get a notification. You have documents to review in the vault. And now that's really become a best practice. It's not just surviving, but thriving in a whole new way. How can you make that engagement even more productive and efficient? And we saw a lot more advisors allowing the clients to start the financial planning process. And we also learned by doing that, clients are willing to share more information with you. So rather than one to two financial goals, we were seeing three to five financial goals. So tremendous adaptability from the advisors to really embrace um, the technology, but also, as Jim mentioned, find new ways to communicate. And so one of the things we quickly did is we all became Zoomers. We also allowed for our Zoom license, that discount and our scale to be afforded to our clients. Again, it, it proved to be successful. Certainly never replaces uh, that human touch or being face-to-face, -face, but it was a good alternative. Well, and, and again, going back to what Jim said, what it did for us, it made all the boomers Zoomers. Who would have thought? Yes. Hey, hey, Lynn, I did have another question, though. What is Microsoft Lens? It's, a, it's an app that allows the advisor to scan the paperwork to us in an efficient way. So okay. the one other thing that um, it was quite remarkable last year, some institutions are accustomed to being on scorecards. Some were removed last year, but still found new ways of success. And Rich, I know that was something that his program removed them from the scorecard, but he had his best year ever, as we heard. So I think that speaks volumes in terms of uh, adaptability, Rich. Yeah, it's um, it was it was unique. Um, it was all about awareness and just you know consistently getting the message out there to the retail network that we can help our clients and that rising tide lift all boats and all businesses. And we stuck with that. You know, I'll say one other thing. One of the things, not frustrating, but I, I wish that the news and and all the media coverage would have included bank personnel, financial advisors as frontline workers. I mean, if you think about the way the country continued to move forward through people paying their bills, their mortgage, their rents, whatever, right, was the ability to transact and continue transact business during this time. And that was a direct result of a lot of good people at this institution and all of the institutions represented on this call and all of those people sacrificing and coming to work every day behind plexiglass and with their masks on and serving clients and doing transactions and never got any kind of credit around, you know, being on the front line. But I consider them true heroes as well, for keeping the economy going um, during such a tough time. And I've heard that once in the news, and I always thought that that should be something that was brought up. Rich, thank, thanks very much for bringing that up. And I think that is absolutely something that our listeners will uh, hear real loud and clear that, you know, Everyone on this call, all of the banks, the thousands of banks out there remained open in some way, shape, or form during this, uh, this last year. Uh, Dan, let's, let's bring us home with the uh, adaptability question. You know, I think you're forced into learning the technology and find and learn those new ways. 
it's amazing what you have to learn when you get into a, a situation that we were all going through. And, and adapting was survival. You, you had no choice. But I, I think once you find those opportunities and you utilize the technology that's given to you, you realize that you can survive and realize, wow, that technology is what they said it was. Uh, we should have been using this all along. And, and I can't agree more. And as, as we were saying at the onset of this uh, podcast, we have over 200 years worth of experience uh, on our panel. And that's why it took us over half an hour to answer that first question. So with that in mind, <laughs> let me pass the baton over to our co-host, Scott Stathis, who might have to reintroduce himself. <laughs> <laughs> I've been waiting patiently in the background here. Good job, Bob. Uh, so now for the second question, which will be the second half an hour and maybe the last question of the podcast. <laughs> um, I, here's where I'd like to go. Um, I, I'd like to move past the pandemic, but stick with the adaptability framework of the discussion. And, and what I mean by that is we've all been in the business a long time, right? And I, I think we're being forced to rethink how this business is being conducted because there's so much that has changed regardless of the pandemic, right? Strategically, there's a lot that has changed. But most importantly, uh, I believe client expectations have changed fairly dramatically, right? So if you think about the other things that are forcing the need to be adaptable, if you're going to be successful and in business five years from now, I mean, there's stuff like, you know, the reduction in branch traffic. So what are you going to do about that? How are you, how are you going to respond and react to that? The, the need to migrate our business to more fee-based business, the, the need to, if, if you're an advisor or managing advisors, have your advisors really focus on attaining that trusted advisor status where they're managing the majority of their clients' assets, right? Not the minority of their clients' assets like most of the advisors in the bank and credit union channel are today. So that's not going to work in the future, right? So how do they adapt and evolve to getting to that trusted advisor status or else they're out of business? Because they're just an afterthought if they're not managing the majority of their clients' assets. So with that in mind, right, let's let's talk about adaptability. And I'd like to start, I'd like Dan and Steve, since you're producing managers, maybe you guys can start, you know, in answering this question, then we'll pass it off to the rest. So, so the question is, aside from the pandemic, what do you think are some of the most demanding you must adapt situations that either you've been in and you're already adapting or that you see down the line and that you have to adapt to? And what are your thoughts on, on how you're going to handle them? And maybe Dan, you can start and then, and then Steve. Yeah, absolutely. No, Scott, that's a great question and a great uh, point that you make of, uh, of changing the business in the business model changes over time. Um, a little over three and a half years ago, um, I was approached by our, our bank president and he asked me to uh, double revenue in about a three to four year time frame. My first question to him was, are you going to buy another bank? He said, no. <laughs> and I said, okay, how am I going to do this? And, uh, and that's where I threw myself back into production. At the time, I was just in management. Um, put myself back in production where I was a little bit more hands off and said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lead by example. Um, and that's what I set out to do. Uh, I needed to find recurring revenue. I needed to be able to find an opportunity to, to drive revenue when we weren't necessarily getting the branch traffic, like you said. And so there's a lot of things that had, had to be adapted to and, and overcome technology um, is the key factor there. You know, and the, the technology that Satera has um, allows you to identify you know, your book of business and break it down, segment your book. 
you know, be able to look at it, see who your clients really are. Um, you know, portfolio access does just that for you. Uh, the other thing you're able to do is use a tool like client analytics. Client analytics is where you can go in and see what kind of asset, what kind of money you're actually making off your clients. You know, who are you making the money off of? Are you spending the right time with the right people? A lot of times we think it's just the people with the most money are our best clients. In most cases, they're not. Um, so it's a matter of identifying those opportunities and seeing what we could do there to look at that book. Because, you know, I, when I got in the business, I remember my, my first uh, relationship manager told me, you know, your chair swings both ways. You know, you get, you get your clients that come in front of you that sit in front of you. That's where you make your revenue off of. But don't forget to turn it around and look at that filing cabinet for the ones you already have because there's more opportunities sitting there. Um, and I think that's critical for the business and for people to understand that, that that's exactly what I did. And uh, I utilized the technology to do that, find the opportunity that I already had sitting in front of me um, and, and take advantage of it. And then once I started to build that out on my own, my own personal team, um, I was able to you know, coach and mentor the rest of the teams to do the same thing. So re- really what I ended up doing was creating a team concept so you could handle the book of business that you have under management already, uh, because there's a lot of opportunity there that a lot of times we forget about. And guess what? Somebody else gets it at a later time. You know, uh, Dan, I think that's a phenomenal point because as as I look at our channel, um, I, I see the biggest opportunity, literally the biggest opportunity being getting more business from existing accounts. I think that's a bigger opportunity than bringing in new accounts. Uh, because like I said earlier, the majority of advisors out there are working with the minority of their clients' assets, right? So if they can get a good picture of you know, what, what are actually the investable assets that my clients have and how do I develop the trust so they give me the rest of those assets, that's where the, that's where the money is, Right. And, and we can, as we look at the building out of different delivery channels, whether they be remote advisor channels, associate advisors, et cetera, they can, they can really start bringing in some of that new business, right? But have your senior advisors focus on building more business with existing books. That's exactly what the second story, the book-based advisors, the wealth advisors have done, and they've done it incredibly successfully. So I think that's a really good point you, you bring up, Dan. Um, so I'd like to hear from, from any of the others. Jim, you had a comment? Yeah. Um, you know, something that just kind of jumped in my head. Um, gosh, it was a while ago um, when uh, we merged with another bank um, and they had their own broker dealer. And it was part of my job was retention and uh, to try and uh, work out some of the best retention packages for our financial advisors because we were the, the one being acquired. And I'll never forget someone telling me, uh, well, we can't, we can't do too much because you guys are just bank reps. Uh, and that has stuck with me for the last 10 years. And I ask people all the time, are you just a bank rep or are you a financial advisor? Uh, are you the trusted financial advisor? And uh, you get some looks and, you know, we put that in the recruiting process and, and interviewing. Uh, you do get a lot of answers, but one of the things that uh, we've really been focusing on is doing more business with existing customers. We have done studies. I can't give you the specific numbers because they're still proprietary and uh, will probably be talked about uh, at this uh, this quarter's earnings release. But we've done a, a big um, data dive on all of our customers to see uh, what they had with us before they became an investment services customer and what they have now, not just in investments, but in total footings at the bank and what their cross-sell ratio is. And it's significant. 
by the time they, you know, after the, we tracked them two to three years after they bought an investment account from us. And um, we're, we're a huge hook in the bank. My point in saying all of that is that retain 99% of those customers are still with us. But for a financial advisor, how can you have a better story than that uh, to build a book? You're not going to just be able to rely on referrals forever. Traffic is, it's actually good right now, but it's not as good as it was. Branches are closing. You mentioned that. You, you can read any article in American Banker or Wall Street Journal anytime. And I've seen projections to zero branches by 2035. I, oh, I saw that 10 years ago, too. Yeah. Uh, just, just reprinted. There'll always be bank branches and there will always be customers coming in with needs. But if you want to build yourself an awesome practice, you can't stand there and shake with your hand and your palm up. Uh, you have to get in there and talk to customers. You have to be appreciative of those referrals you get. But I promise you, and you know the stats on this, uh, Scott, customers don't really ever tell you everything they have. The longer you're in that continuum with the client, do you really know your customer? Do you really know their kids? Do you really know their beneficiaries? Who's going to be their executor? That's when you lose customers if you don't know that stuff. And, and I say a lot of people don't. Uh, I have a good friend who's in a practice up in Buffalo, New York, a huge practice with a, a big warehouse. He's been there his whole career. Got his wife in it. He's got his father-in-law in it. He's got his kids in it. He's got his young kid just graduate doing his social media, and they just dig uh, with a customer and they get the total relationship. They make the kids come in. They know who their trusted uh, contact is, which is all part of you know risk aversion because uh, as customers age and things change, we all take those continuing education courses, right? That's a whole different way of adapting, and I. I that had nothing to do with the pandemic. Uh, that is just how you how you build a book, and how you don't have, you know, ten jobs on your on your U four. Um, you can build a huge big practice uh, in in these branches, and if you adopt that independence mindset of building your book, you know, we're in the process right now of talking about that. You call it second story. I call it non branch line, and tracking our folks to that. That's how we're going to build growth here. But it, you have to have the advisor that thinks that way, uh, that thinks less is more. Less branches is more. We know that. And actually less clients. We have some people with 1,500 to 2,000 clients, but they do business with 250 of them. So, you know, right. that, right. that you bring up a great point. So, so Jim, I, I want to layer into this a little bit and get and get the rest of your responses to this. So, you, your point that you really need to get to know your clients better, and not just the client as an individual, but their family, their kids, et cetera, et cetera, right? Extremely important these days because you will lose assets if you don't do that. No yeah. doubt about it, right? Yeah. yeah. But I want to pick up on something that Dan said that I thought was very clever if you think about it, and that is the chair swings both ways. So if you're a good advisor, to me, not only do you have to get to know your clients and their families better, but then swing your chair around the other way and get to know your internal partners in the institution better, the loan officers, right? The mortgage officers, the business lenders, et cetera. Because man, there's such good business there. And you look at banks and credit unions, we have on average a 5% penetration rate of, of our client base. What? 5%? I mean, come on. If we're yeah. working as partners, you can do so much better, right? And I'm sure the others can can chime in on this, but just you know, briefly for here, we have a great partnership with our private wealth department and our small business department. Uh, rather than just saying, hey, I'm a financial advisor and I, I need referrals and I'd like to talk to your customers. We don't even go that fast. We go to, we're going to teach you what we do. 
Um, you know, right. whether it be a branch huddle or we do all sorts of meetings with private wealth advisors and actually bring a wholesaler in and uh, go through the products. We've had great success uh, showing them alternatives like uh, market link CDs, market link notes, and actually showing to them and getting some interest to the point that they opened up some accounts and wanted to buy some of this stuff. <laughs> and, uh, and then in branches, you know, our fixed annuities and index annuities, just actually showing what these products do and what the riders do and what we're going to talk to your customer about uh, goes a, a long, long way of a branch or, you know, another partner around the bank having the confidence to, to send their customer over to you. It's, it's, a, it's a game changer. It, it, I, I agree. It's a game changer. Dan, I know you've done some work on that, right? You have what you call your FAST program. Do you want to give us uh, a little perspective on that? Yeah, no, that hits right on what Jim was talking about, the partnerships. Um, FAST is an acronym here at Farmers National Bank as Farmers Associates Standing Together. Um, we have a corporate focus, that's usually three or four weeks long on a specific area. For instance, uh, we might have an investment focus where everybody in the entire bank is uh, is focusing on that. We have a corporate call every Wednesday to, to discuss it. We're uh, divided up um, in the different teams with members from each of the areas of the bank on a team together. Uh, those teams speak at least uh, once a week, discuss on how they're going to commit to getting referrals to that specific area. And then uh, we discuss it corporately on a call Wednesday with the president and the CFO. Um, so it's a nice way to, to get focuses of each area of the bank and get one each other familiar with what each one does within the bank and how they can help one another out. Dan, and is, is part of that a, um, what I'll call a kind of a client sharing model where you might discuss a client that you're working with and maybe some of the other needs that that client has that your partners internally can handle and they do the same with one of their clients. And so you're doing kind of teamwork and, and providing services to, to your clients as a team because you're sharing the client profile, so to speak. Do you do that? Absolutely. Um, that's a great way to get success. So if I have a commercial lender take me with him to meet his client to discuss their 401k plan, um, it just solidifies the relationship with the bank um, and then let the client know they have the expertise for all these different levels um, and vice versa. We, we share that. The best way to get a referral is to give a referral. So if you can do that with your partners um, and take them in on a joint appointment and get them business, they're going to reciprocate. Yeah. That's it. One of the things we have a quarterly meeting with our um, president and one of the big things he asks every quarter is, okay, what are you referring back to the credit union? How many mortgages have you sent back? How many CDs? How many, whatever it is, car loans, credit cards. So we track that on an ongoing basis. And uh, that's one of our big reports back to the credit union. Great. And I, and I think, uh, like I said, with a 5% penetration rate, we need to see a lot more of that stuff, right? Because that, and, and that's, we talk about, advisors becoming a trusted advisor, they also have to become a trusted advisor internally, right? If, you're, if your mortgage banker or, or business lender trusts you as an advisor, you're going to get a lot more referrals, but you have to earn that trust with them, especially if, uh, you know, I, those of you that have business lending, right? They're very protective of their clients and there's no way they're going to make a referral to you as an advisor unless they know you are solid, right? And so you have, like I said, you have to, you have to earn that trust. So, so let me pass it off to any of the rest of you. You know, Russ, you and I have had some discussions. I know you have a lot of strategic thoughts, right? And Leanne, so the two of you are seeing this from a much broader perspective, but you probably look at some of the client institutions and say, you know, damn, they're doing, they're doing a pretty good job with this stuff. I, you know, what's the secret sauce kind of thing, but any, any thoughts that you guys have? 
Well, I would just echo what, what the rest of the guys have said here. You know, when I go back to my program management days, one thing we did, we were always in front of what I would consider your best clients, which are the branch staff. Uh, they're the ones that you're exactly right, Scott. They're the ones that you have to establish that trust with. You can't hide in your office as an advisor and not get out and socialize and engage with your possibly what is your best clients. And those are the loan officers and the tellers and, and everyone else. And, and you know, I, I, had, I had very successful advisors that basically shot themselves in the foot simply because they did not know how to work in a branch environment. I think that's key. And, and you know, as, as Jim said, their branches are starting to come back to life. Uh, branches are not going anywhere. And if advisors have that in their heads that, you know, they don't need the branch, uh, the branches any longer, or they can do it on their own. Uh, bank advisors will, will never get to that point. They're going to always have to engage that branch staff. And Leanne, I'm sure it's got more thoughts on that. Yeah, I think, you know, it's been interesting to see how advisors can leverage technology to cater their engagement style, you know, with the different clients that they serve. So one of the things that I think has been really unique, we've always talked about engaging the entire household in financial planning, but to get everybody to come in, you know, for an appointment has been somewhat of a challenge. So one of the things I've been hearing from advisors is they've been able to do that in more of a Zoom setting. So you're expanding your reach with the entire household just versus, you know, maybe the husband or wife that you're typically, you know, accustomed to serving. So I see that as a huge plus because we know for those advisors that don't engage the entire household, and if something happens, then your likelihood you're going to lose that relationship. And the other thing is the adoption of fee for service, you know, which some people call the subscription based uh, investing. And that has picked up steam. Again, we've made that easier on how uh, advisors can offer that. But I do think that is something here to stay. And that's probably the biggest, you know, we've all learned different lessons and skills through the pandemic. But which of those are we going to hold on to as we grow together? And I think it's kind of the blending of the new and the old to achieve that continued momentum. And I know Rich and, and Jim both have their, they have some comments here as well. So I'll turn it over back to them. Well, I, I've never seen Rich be quiet this long, so we'll let him go next. <laughs> There's a lot building up behind the dam, right? It's ready to burst. Oh I don't <laughs> you go, Rich. Again now. I, I'm hanging on to what Jim said. It, uh, you know, 80% of your clients don't tell you um, about their assets held away, and I couldn't agree more. Reminds me of the old adage that buyers are liars, right? So um, I, I will say this um, around Scott's original question around, you know, uh, adaptability. You know, let's get past the pandemic. And how do we deal with things that are going to approach the business down the road? And it reminds me of um, hearing Dr. Elko speak. And those of you who haven't heard of me, he does a great presentation. One of the things he says is, so what, now what, right? And I think what we've learned is that, oh, branch traffic's going to be dwindling. Well, I got news for you. Branch traffic's been dwindling for the last 10, 15 years, right? And that's just the way it is. It has never dwindled more than it did in 2020. It went away in 2020, and we all did better as a result. 
So that's one less thing we could be afraid of, right? Because we know we could still do well and adapt in that environment. How did we do well? I said earlier about awareness and people wanting to talk to us, but what we did at the bank was we had specific focus on reaching out, calling people, talking to people. Um, we had months where the entire bank would call on behalf of the investment program to say, hey, come in and meet with my partner here. You got to talk to them about long-term care, life insurance, retirement income planning, whatever it may be. And that really got us on the board. So, you know, I'll argue and say, it doesn't matter what you're going to throw at us, right? We will always adapt, you know, we're going to all be, we're all going to be fee-based because the DOL is coming, right? (laughs) We're not all fee-based. We still have transactional. Our annuity business comes to do. We have 350 million in annuities coming out of surrender this year. We're going to ride that the appropriate way into the next, you know, five years, right? And we're not always going to be fee-based because it's not always appropriate for everyone else. And we'll adapt. And, you know, almost like Jurassic Park, right? Nature finds a way. We, we, we will find a way regardless of the, the environment that's put around us or given to us. You know, that's what we do. And, and that gives me a lot of hope. You know, Rich, Kevin, Kevin Elko also says, keep the main thing the main thing. Yep. And, and that's, that's really what we had to do after, you know, last April and into, into May when we knew it, you know, what was going on and, Everybody was scared to death. Uh, keep the main thing the main thing, and we got we got him and some others uh, on calls. So Tara brought us some speakers, and it just kind of level set. And hey, let's get back to business. However, it's going to be. Let's get back to business. One other thing I was just going to tell you, Scott, that we kind of thought about is um, investing in our financial advisors. We we went up to our learning and development department and. We know we statistically track since we started this program with Sotera. If we can get these people to the 27th month with us, uh, they're in a high 90% to still be with us. Uh, Their production hits the level. We know where they're going to be. The turnover is down significantly. You get them here 36 to 48 months. They've been very, very, very few regrettable losses uh, above that. Um, And we want them to build a practice and do all those things. But how, you know, Tell them to do it is one thing. Uh, how about putting some skin in the game? And uh, we got with our learning and development department around accreditations. Admittedly, you know, it started out with uh, every, you know, everybody wants, comes in, wants, will you pay for my CFP? Well, then when you explain what the CFP is and how long it is and what you actually get out of the CFP, yeah, not so many signed up. Uh, and we, then we went to the uh, certified wealth strategist, um, we have people uh, jumping off you know, right now, uh, signing up for that, along with other accreditations like the AIF, the Accredited Investment Fiduciary. That's helped with um, managed money sales and being a fiduciary and placing yourself out there. Uh, it gave people accreditations. Uh, it gave them confidence, something they can put in their business card and something training-wise to look at how they can be a holistic advisor and go deeper with a client. And CWS has taught a lot of people how to have really deep conversations and get to that next generation. Uh, and we've uncovered a lot of insurance sales. So Tara's insurance group and that group, um, we're, we've, we're, you know, I don't want to say replace it. We're, we're getting people more insurance for less money. And uh, then we've proven capability and being able to go in and talk with private wealth advisors. And we're starting to see some real nice high net worth cases, but it's not the bankrupt. 
Uh, they don't want to deal with a bankrupt. They like a CFP, a certified wealth strategist, somebody with those accreditations that cannot just talk about an indexed annuity or an indexed CD. They want someone who can talk about concepts. And when you start talking concepts is when you start getting customers thinking. So it's just uh, it's an investment we're doing. And um, it's, um, you know, we pay for it. It's, um, it's, you know, something that's got a little clawback if they decide to get it from us and go someplace else uh, after a year or two. So it, it, we just know we had to put a clawback in there because we want to get you to the at least the 36 months and it, it well pays for itself. And that's that's just another way of trying to tackle it. I, you know, it just makes so much sense. It's scary, right? I mean, you're investing in your best assets. Why wouldn't you? And and I, I like the concept of a, of a clawback, but you have as a marker uh, or as an objective retention, right? We so don't want them. We don't want the money back. We don't want no, the money back. Exactly. Right. <laughs> we want you to be a CFP or a CWS and just knock the ball out of the park and build yourself a book of 500 really wealthy customers. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and all, and, and, and almost, it's almost the case that by having a clawback, you're sending that message that, listen, we're doing this because we want you to stay with us, right? Yeah. We don't want the money back. And, it's, and we want you to be serious too. Exactly. Yeah, no, I love it. I think that's a great strategy. So let's keep you on point. Uh, for, for you said more insurance, more insurance for more money. For <laughs> less you, money. Did yeah, you see you know, Bob's reaction? Word, right, Jim, that was for me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> that was I, call him, I call him John Hancock. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Bob, I'm going to pass this back to you, but Jim, we'd like to keep you on point because uh, I, Bob has a question. I think that is related to a degree to, to what you just said. So Bob, why don't you take it from oh, here? Uh, absolutely. I was jotting notes down here. So we're going to move a little bit over to a different topic, non-technology. It's all about staffing and recruiting because we've talked so much about trusted advisor status. So let's look at staffing and recruiting more specifically. Not all advisors are going to be adaptable enough to survive. So when advisors need to be replaced, how do you make sure you're recruiting more adaptable advisors that get to that 27th month and beyond, as you were stating before, a pipeline of folks to get to that 27th month? Yeah. You know, one thing I will just um, moderately disagree with, everybody can adapt. Um, so will they? I don't know. You know, we've seen some people uh, later in their careers just decide not to, not to jump on board, but um, everybody can do it and everybody um, that wants to do it, will do it. Um, frankly, um, our managers do a phenomenal job out in the field, keeping pipelines, a pipeline of advisors to talk to. And there's some, uh, we just hired someone up in Tennessee that our manager's been talking to and going to get coffee for over three years until uh, finally something triggered uh, for them to sit down and the advisor wanted to make a change. Um, the recruiting, it, like it, 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 no matter what, it comes down to attitude, uh, personality, do you have people skills? We always look for people that maybe have had retail skills and um, who can hold the conversation and who can look at their bank associates as partners. That's, that's never going to change. That's from the beginning of time to the end of time. Uh, and it's not just this business. It's just simply in a, in a retail environment. So those are, that's the first gate you're going to have to get through. I will say things are a little bit different now because just in the in the last year to two years or last five years with the technological advances, we look for their their technology skills. You know, do they know how to you know use Microsoft? Do they know how to 
do a spreadsheet? Uh, can they do some of those things? And our managers ask questions around that more now than they ever used to. But here, here's a couple things that I, I wrote down that, you know, we talked about all the tools that Sotera gives us. Uh, Dan Cervaco mentioned uh, a couple of them, like Portfolio Access. Uh, we mentioned AdviceWorks. Uh, Marketing Central is an online tool where you can either do specific mailing, you know, emailing and whatnot out to customers, or you can, you can just set it. You know, every month it's going to set out, or every week it's going to send out an economic update or maybe a, a statement from Gene Goldman, um, the CFO, or all sorts of things. You can set it up just to send out birthday cards. We had one last year, a tragic event. It's a hurricane came through and wiped out a bunch of uh, branches and you know, a bunch of people were very unfortunate. I'm on one financial advisor's uh, email list and it was a whole, it was a list of things to do. And it was about five days before the hurricane hit was projected to hit. And it was from our advisor and it had a lot of tips about emergency numbers to call, uh, where you get this, where do you go, uh, storing your documents, just neat things. I don't know how many people read it, but I was like, how cool is that? So when we interview, you know, we, we ask a lot about that, but then there's in, in our company, we've just rolled out Regions Bridge and Regions Bridge is a contact management system, CRM that we signed on with Salesforce uh, that's doing a phenomenal job. Uh, Rich, Rich mentioned out of surrender annuities. We also have hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, we have a, a you know, couple thousand licensed bankers out there over the years selling uh, fixed annuities out in our branches. And you know, turnover in the consumer world's you know twenty to twenty-five, sometimes higher. You know, we're we're loading those out of surrender in there. We're finding people who've been sitting there at a one percent minimum guarantee for years, and, and nobody's called them. And it's not only that we put in CDs uh, sixty days before maturity date, savings accounts, um, and uh, money markets uh, over you know a certain dollar amount that can bring to an advisor's attention. We have to recruit, not only train the ones we have and those that will suspend their belief and say, hey, I'm actually going to go in and dig into this and find customers because maybe my staffing model at the branch has gone from five people to four, to from four to three, or dang pandemic. You know, people have to have, an, they need an appointment. They can't come in the branch, but I've got, you know, I got to get going and, um, you know, really attracting and recruiting advisors that have those first skills that I mentioned, but the second skill, uh, we, we'll put them right in front of a computer, you know, and they come on in and we'll walk them through a few things and we'll know immediately uh, who's adapted and who's um, got the technology skills to do it. Uh, and if, if, if they can do that uh, and they can adapt and the first question isn't, uh, can I get a sales assistant? Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, uh, We'll look at that as a, as a real win. And uh, we, we really don't ask them to bring their customers. Uh, a lot of people have non-solicitations. Uh, we have plenty of customers um, we can refer or you can go find them because they're here and they're banking here and uh, they have assets here. So I'll, uh, I'll pass off there and um, let some others chime in on that. Yeah, and I was gonna I was gonna move to Steve because I think he has a probably a different perspective from where he's coming from in a credit union and as a producing manager. Yeah, a little different. I mean, the the our two um I call them associate advisors, but they were internal candidates. Um, you know, one was a branch manager, one was a member service advisor, 
And, um, you know, they know what we do. They know the credit union system inside and out. They know which members come in on a regular basis and who have money. I mean, they're, they're perfect. If, if they've got the motivation to become a financial advisor and understand what they're doing, I mean, they're perfect candidates uh, for us to work with because they already know the credit union systems. They know how the culture is and who to work with and, and who to talk to. And, you know, they're even better sometimes, I think, at, uh, you know, talking to the mortgage lenders and the bank and the, and the business bankers because they've been here a while already. So when we're looking for candidates, we're really going internal uh, to find that right person as opposed to really going outside. Like I said, they work as an associate advisor. I have one, Dave, that works with me. Um, so his model is to work with uh, the, the, the credit union customers that have less than $250,000. As he runs into people with more assets, he refers them up to me. We do joint appointments. He learns the business. So that's really the model. And then when it's time for him to be on his own, he'll get his own branches and he'll have a good book of business to, to work with. Great, great. Appreciate that. Let's get a, a, a big picture um, uh, thought from either Russ, Leanne, or both of you. Well, I think um, a few things. You know, I think we can all say geography is no longer a constraint. So we are seeing some institutions be much bigger and bolder in how they're looking to add to their team. So some of the second story or se uh, senior advisors, they may have more of a hybrid work schedule or you know, even outside the branch, but they're backfilling those in the branch, which can lead to you know, greater coverage, greater revenue, greater touch with the internal stakeholders. And as Steve indicated, a lot more associate advisors. We're also looking at different ways in which we can bring younger and more diverse clients into the institutions we serve. So there's some interesting things we're doing on that front. And then I'd say the other thing is we're working with a lot of institutions, not only on the recruiting, but what are we doing when advisors get in that red zone of retirement? So a lot of the engagements that the growth officers have had lately are revolving around how do we retain those top advisors? Um, because we know that other firms have their eye on them, and we certainly want to do all we can to uh, retain them with the institution they're affiliated with today. So a lot of interesting things, as we always talk about on the, the tiering of advisors, but as Russ can attest to, a lot of client segmentation engagements as well. Yeah, Liam brings up a very good point about the succession plan, and we're probably engaged with our business consultant team on at least four or five uh, situations we have working right now where, where we're engaged with them on, on trying to figure out succession plans on some of their higher end uh, advisors that are within probably three to five years of retirement. Another um, uh, thing that we're seeing a lot of, and Dan can attest to this, is we, we are seeing a lot more teams being formed yes. with, within our banks and credit unions. And, and that's that that's started to, to really become very, very successful. And I think Dan's got six teams now and uh, we're starting to see that, that replicate across uh, other programs. And Dan forgot to mention his whiteboarding effect, which is incredible. Yeah. So I had mentioned that I was creating these teams and with these teams, um, I was trying to double my revenue uh, as asked by the president. And, um, 
And so what I was doing was I was trying to transition that book of business and increase that recurring revenue. So uh, the biggest complaint I hear from reps is that they don't want to transition their book of business because it's going to cost them revenue. I disagree 100%. You know, say that because I did it myself and I'm coaching and mentoring five other teams to do the same thing right now. Um, and some of these teams were doing it during the pandemic. Um, so it is capable. So what happens, we're, we're looking for that low-hanging fruit by utilizing those tools like client, client analytics and portfolio access to identify the opportunity. Once we identified the opportunity, it was a matter of converting them into the advisory platform. And what we would do is we would identify who needed to be in advisory. And then if we had multiple accounts, we'd maybe use a third or fourth account for a household to go into investment-only VA of your choice that would help create some transactional business. Or maybe it was a fixed annuity. Maybe it was life insurance. The more you dig into it, the more those opportunities and transactional pieces come together. What I found, though, as my own team was personally um, driving and, and doing this, some things were starting to fall through the cracks. In order to, to change that, what I did was I, I asked my facilities to bring me in a whiteboard and put it in my boardroom. I split a line right down the middle of that, and I had advisory on one side, and I had transactional on the other. And my team, we, we sat there and identified who we felt were our transactional clients that needed to be in life insurance, fixed annuities, variable annuities. And then we also looked at who would need to be in our advisory platform. Um, and then we would track it. And then each side had three columns on it, which said, all right, did we have the meeting? Did we close it? And was it completed? That way, what we did, everybody on the team had their own responsibility. So my assistant who was scheduling the appointments made sure that I had the meetings. I had to make sure that I got the paperwork prepared and got it done. And then we'd do a follow-up to make sure it was closed. And everybody in my team would meet every Monday, go over that whiteboard, find out who's accountable for what, make sure they're doing it. By Friday, we reviewed it again, updated the board, and made sure things were getting done. I started out July of 2017, $0 in advisory. Today, three and a half, almost four years later, I'm at $78 million. Wow. Uh, and in the same time, increased <clears throat> revenue each year, year over year. I have two other teams right now that have seen significant impact of the increase of their revenue while increasing their advisory business. So that whiteboard effect is really an accountability board, um, making sure everybody on the same team was, was on the same page and everybody's getting their responsibilities done. Um, and if anybody says that you cannot increase revenue while converting to advisory, I would challenge them. There's a challenge to all of our listeners right there. So you got whiteboard challenge, farmers associates standing together. Rich, bring us home with this question. I can't. I'm going to fly Dan to New York. I'll take him to a Yankee game. Maybe I'll give an overview to my team. What do you say, Dan? <laughs> I'm in, Rich. You had to get right. the Yankees into the podcast. Thanks a lot, uh, Bob. Great comments, really, Dan. That's, that's a great story. You know, I'm, I'm a big advocate at Bison, so is Jim and many people on this call, right? And we have a, a saying now that we're working on, you know, you leave the business better than you found it. So we're really trying to solve for a bunch of things in our own recruiting internally, which is looking for folks that are more holistic that, you know, are not going to be one trick ponies, transactional or advisory, but a combination as, as Dan has laid out, which we think is the best. And, you know, we're trying to recruit more women into our, our program, more people of color into our program, and not just be a checking boxes, but you know, are they gonna fit our model culturally? Um, can they be holistic advisors and do they see a future for themselves in this business? Because I think we're coming to a critical junction 
in the industry where if we don't start to get younger people into the chairs, the, the business is going to suffer down the road. One of the things you know, we're looking at is solve this locally. You know, we're not going to solve it globally as an organization, BICE or any other organization, but solve it locally. Like we're working with Seton Hall. They have a program that's specifically dedicated to you know, getting a Series 7 or the first part of it and, and taking financial planning as a course in college that's preparing you to become an advisor. And we have to think more that way in order to expand the sales force into the future. Well, so, so I have a little follow on to this, right? Because I think the subject of bringing new advisors into the industry is critical. And one of the recent podcasts we did, Frank Consolo and I were talking about this. Um, but Rich, to your, to your point, especially as it relates to bringing uh, younger people into the industry and, and maybe out of college, if you want to attract those people, you have to speak in their language, right? And one of the things that all of us on this podcast know, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that is if we're doing our job properly, we are significantly enhancing the lifestyle of the people that we're working with, right? We're doing a lot of good things for them. We're, we're enabling them to live a more comfortable life, especially when they get to retirement. So my point is this. If, if we do a good job in painting a picture of the social relevance of what we do, right, and frame that in a recruiting construct, so we're talking to college students about the social relevance of our industry, the social relevance of being an advisor, how we're helping people live a better life, that's their language. And I think we've missed the ball on that in the past, right? I mean, because you know, way back when it was all about making money. Well, that's not really the case for college graduates anymore. Not that they don't care about that, but they care about social relevance and social issues. And if we frame it that way, I think we're going to do a much better job recruiting younger people into our industry. And it's going to be a more diverse population too, because it'll look like the college population, which is pretty diverse these days. I think that's a really important thing that we all have to think about is changing the language we're using a bit when we're, when we're trying to recruit from, from colleges. So, so that said, um, let me, we, Dan, you shared a really good success story about migrating to advisory business. I, I don't want to let that go without having any of you that might have other success stories in mind share those success stories, because I think success, success stories really drive a point home. I'll give you an example of one that I heard recently that's interesting and relates to some of the other things that we've been talking about. Leanne, you, you brought up fee-for-service, right? And, and you guys have introduced advice pay, which supports fee-for-service, which I love. So here's a really interesting success story. There, there, there has actually happened several times when I've been talking to advisors that have gone up the ladder and, and have become you know, what we're calling second story advisors, book advisors, non-branch advisors, wealth advisors, whatever you want to call them. And some of them have gotten to the point with some of their clients where not only are they managing all of their clients' investable assets, but now they're also managing their non-investable assets, right? They're, they're helping them with purchasing homes. They're helping them with figuring out what colleges their kids should go to or whatever. I mean, it's, it's just beyond the straight financial investable assets. And so... There are a few of these advisors who have said, well, for that segment of clients, and backtracking a second, I agree with, with what you guys have said. There's always a space for transactional business. You need that. Then you need the AUM fee-based business, but there's a next step now. 
It's fee-for-service business, right? So for these advisors I'm talking about, they have gone to a fee-for-service model with their clients that they're helping manage not only investable assets, but non-investable assets. And it's a, you know, it's an annual, it's an annual fee for service that may be payable on a quarterly basis or whatever, but they've gone there. And that's adaptability. I mean, that's a really cool evolution. So you can either comment on that or not. That was just meant as an example of a, another type of success story that I've seen. But any other anything related to that or any other types of success stories that any of you want to share as you look at your advisor or advisors or, you know, Stephen Dan, as you look at your business and how it has evolved. You know, Scott, I have a good one. We, we, we went, I joined the program uh, before years ago in two weeks, right? Our recurring revenue from fee income standpoint, true managed money was uh, nothing, zero. So today it makes up almost 10% of our recurring revenue, right? It makes up 10% of our growth. So that's a pretty good story, right? Over four years, how'd you get there? Well, bringing in holistic advisors, creating awareness, creating awareness in the bank channel with our partners, with the business bankers, um, with the other business lines to let them know, hey, we're not the annuity shop. We used to be called the annuity program. We rebranded all of that and creating a different awareness and a different experience on the part of the bankers that support us so that they are more aware of what we actually can do. Bringing in a new caliber of FA, change that. And then, you know, Hearing some great comments from folks that are on the call today, I actually literally just sent Dan a note and wanted to learn a little bit more about his whiteboard concept so we can maybe, you know, steal a page from his book because it works, right? So things like that, I think will help us. So good success story for us, but there's more to go. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Hey. Yeah, we've always been focused on the fee-based. I mean, from day one, we've been doing that. Um, you know, last year, 58% of our business came from fee-based and trails. So we uh, have always done that. Uh, you know, our, our assets under management and fee-based are 58% of our total assets. So yeah, that's a really always been a focus. And I think we're going to you know, obviously continue with that and try to build that up as much as we can, you know, and still, uh, you know, get those trails on the other part of the business that uh, is not the, uh, the fee-based, the annuities and things like that. Yeah, no, good stuff. And thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, some of those stories. Russ, I think you had a success story that you wanted to share as well, right? Yeah, Scott. So, you know, when we shut down last year, and like I said, the growth officers really had to come together and think outside the box of how we would continue to engage our advisors. One thing we looked at was that group of advisors that we all have that we would consider the movable middle, right? Those that are doing 500 or less just can't quite get to that next level. So we identified around 85 advisors that we felt fit in that group. But when we really started looking at those advisors, we realized there was two separate types of advisors. Those advisors that were younger in the business, maybe that did not have the sales skills, you know, they never were really formally taught the sales process. And then the second group of those advisors were more of the tenured advisors, more experienced, larger books of business. So we developed a 12-week series we called uh, the the less experienced advisor our rising stars and the more experienced advisors the soaring excellence and we went through both of them had different agendas but in february marked six months of the close of the first engagement series we did and we looked at aum aua uh trail and 12 revenue and um, insurance and it was very interesting 
the rising stars, those, those less experienced advisors, they had a 45% trail in 12 GDC increase, a 55% AUM increase, a 40% AUA increase, and a 74% increase in their insurance production. So that really, yeah, it was amazing results. And that really told us something, you know, the, the sort of excellence were, you know, decent as far as their results go, but nothing like the younger advisor group, nowhere close. So I guess my point to the audience is let's not overlook those younger advisors. I know we as program managers, and I'm a former program manager, we always want to really give a lot of attention to our higher producers, and we should. Uh, they should get adequate support, uh, certainly. But we cannot lose sight of those younger advisors in our business. Jim said it earlier. You know, they try to get theirs to 36 months. What are we doing as leaders of our programs to ensure they're getting to that 36-month mark? And we went to the basics, how to give a presentation, how to ask for the business, how to overcome an objection, how to work your book for insurance opportunities, how to transition to advisory. And the results were remarkable. Yeah, well, it's an interesting story. And, and the, the um, kind of the backstory is that the more established advisors are too set in their ways, right? Which very is very awesome. dangerous to be too set in your way. So the message is, is very clear. Don't, don't be too rigid, right? Even if you're successful, the, the path to future success is to a degree, forget what you did to be successful so you can reprogram some other things to get to that next level, right? To, to a degree, right? So the, 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 younger, the younger set is, is a bit more adaptable still, generally yes. speaking, right? Now, now, I've seen exceptions to that rule. I've seen incredibly adaptive people that have been in the industry for a long time, and they're still not satisfied. They're like looking for that next cool thing to do, and they continue to do it. Those people are awesome, but it's look that's at us, message, right? Just look at us, man. Yeah, I mean, look at us, right? My, I have a twenty-year-old and a twenty-two-year-old, and they they challenge me not to be a T-Rex all the time. Dad, you got to do it. You can do this. I'm not going to show you how to do this. You can do this. You know, and I do it. I have kids I the same exact age. I can yeah. totally relate to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, that's that's good stuff, Russ. So I'm going to pass it back to Bob because I I, I know that he has a, a question queued up. So take it away, Bob. Absolutely, partner. And partners set on purpose because partnerships are a key component of, of all of our lives. None of, there's eight of us on this podcast and none of us can do this alone. Uh, Scott and I are partners. No one would want to listen to me for an hour. No one would want to listen to him for an hour. But I can't tell you how many people will listen to both of us for half an hour. <laughs> Each. <laughs> Each. So, you know, you know having, having said that, you know, um, the hallmark of good partnerships is that one plus one equals more than two. Good partnerships are, are, are force multipliers. Jim, you've been eight years with Cetera. Tell us about the partnership. You know, it's worked out uh, really great for us. Uh, I hope it's worked out great for Cetera. Uh, they say oh, so. But the next, don't worry. They say so, but I'm the customer, so I'm going to hear it. No, I, I, Leanne will chime in on that. I can, I can uh, see her on the video. She's giving me the... Uh, Look, it's, it's been phenomenal. It was a, a great decision because um, we had to start from scratch. 
and we needed a broker dealer. We needed assistance. We needed risk management. We needed uh, compliance, a trading desk, all of that. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's worked out well. Nothing's ever perfect. I think uh, Leanne would say it's, it's not perfect uh, working at our company uh, either. But together, um, it's, it's been great because I can call her or I can call the CEO of Soterracorp, uh, Adam Antonides. I can call him today and he'll take my call. You know, any of my managers can do that to, to get what they need. Uh, our chief operations, Mark Backus, has so many relationships with the Sotera folks and able to get things done. And I have to tell you, from being on these advisory calls uh, with these other folks that are on here, it's not just regions. Everybody gets that same that same attention uh, and has that same access. Uh, and Sotera has, um, has innovated. Uh, Adam is a driver, and his team he's brought on have done a phenomenal job for us. Um, but they're, they're always uh, looking out to how they can help us and how they can help our advisors. Leanne knows our statistics. Satara knows our statistics on retention uh, and assets and keeping people here as long as they can. Uh, have brought a lot of value in the Connect Conference, a lot of value to our um, you know, circle of excellence, which is our, our top producers. Just as an example, last week I was talking to Leanne. I said, what do you know about these second story program? You know, we're eight years old now. We've got a handful of advisors that potentially would want to go be non-branch aligned. You know, do you force them to it? Do you draw them to it? Do you make them qualify for it? How do you compensate? And I mean, she was very quick to jump on it and say, hey, man, we've got a lot of information on that. And, uh, we're getting together here in a couple of weeks with my team to talk about that. And those are the types of values that, uh, that they brought on as a partner. They, they truly look at us as a, as a, as a partner because, you know, it's almost like we're their managed money. You know, they do better if we do better, <laughs> you know. And so they, they have a vested interest to, to make us uh, bigger, better, better and uh, serve more customers. And, and that brings it right, right where it needs to be. One plus one equals way more than two. Hey, Rich. Sir. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a great ride. You know, when I was, uh, I was in a room at a, a gala and uh, the COO of the bank came over to me and said, uh, we were with a current provider that was being sold and said, hey, can you get us out of this agreement and, you know, transition us out? And I said, yeah, you know, absolutely. Um, you know, I made two phone calls. One of them was to Leanne. And I said to her, look, I don't need the deck. I don't need the dog and pony show. I need to come visit you and understand exactly how you could help me grow our business. And when we got there, we were 4 million. Three years later, we'll close this year at 13, 14 million. So that ought to tell you exactly what you need to know. It's, it's just been a fantastic partnership. And everyone on this phone will tell you what Jim just said. You know, you feel like you're being treated so specially because it's you. But I know that everybody on this call, Steve, Jim, Dan, myself, feel the exact same way that, you know, we're being true. But that says a lot to the organization. If all of your clients feel like you are the most important person in the complex, then, then that says how you're doing. Um, technology is, is wonderful. As Jim said, there's nothing that's perfect. Terra is not perfect. Investors Bank isn't perfect. Investors Financial, we're pretty close. <laughs> but investors, you know, we, we, we all have a little warts, but, you know, it's the accessibility and the ability to work through issues and um, finding uh, solutions that work for both organizations. Um, so we couldn't be happier. Obviously, we're being very successful. A great team, great support. And I should tell you just how long the folks that have been there 
are there. Um, so we we, uh, we 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 love Sotero. We're big fans. It's trusted partnership status. Yeah, I uh, you know a lot of us sit on different councils for Sotero in different different areas, and um, I actually have the privilege of being the chairman of the leadership council, which uh, Jim and Rich both serve on with me. Um, the other council I, I find to be very critical is there's an advisor advisory council, which is made up of some of the top advisors that I, I co-chair that with one of our relationship managers, Susan Courier. Um, what's nice about um, those two calls and those meetings, uh, the, the advisory call, the advisor advisory call is really finding out from the people on the forefront what they need. The people that have been successful, they're telling you what's working, what's not working. Uh, we're getting that input and that, that feedback. I'm able to then take that back to our leadership council where we have these discussions with, with Jim and Rich and several others that are on council along with the Satera uh, senior leadership. Uh, what's so critical about that is it's telling you the relationship right there. They, they listen, they care, they want to know. You know, we got banks the size of regions and then Rich and then smaller banks like myself. You know, we're all represented across the board there. We have... Um, some producers, some non-producers, some of the senior management. Um, that is so critical to the success and why Satera has been so successful is because they truly listen to the voice of the customer. Um, and that's, that's what we are. Uh, but it doesn't feel like that. To me, it feels like a family. Uh, I've been with them for 20 years now. Um, and I, I look forward to coming to work every day because of that relationship. Um, and everybody on this call, I do appreciate I appreciate what you do. There'll be times I'll call on these gentlemen just to get their input and insight just because of the amount of respect I have for them. Um, so what Satera has done as far as relationship is concerned has created more relationships that are going to last a lifetime. You know, one, one more nugget, Bob, if I could. And, you know, we're clients of Satera and it's a podcast. And, but, but let me tell you something that really speaks volumes to the organization. You know, it's, it's easy for us to do a commercial, right? But let me tell you what is real to me. When they were just um, being acquired, right? Jim and I sit on a, an advisory council that rolls up to Adam, and we sit with the board of directors of their actual owner, GenStar, and report up on how the organization's doing from our perspective, right? The fact that they're asking that question, we were also included and embodied into the actual acquisition process, like who was going to acquire them. And that's, that's you know, I want your input, they're really meaning, I want your input. And I think that not just because, again, it's terror, but I think every organization on the street can learn from that, um, regardless if it's a carrier, if it's a provider, whatever you do, a distributor, you know, engaging your clients and meaning it and really understanding what their needs are and listening and that I certainly have learned from, um, personally and have grown personally as a result of what I've learned from Adam and Satara's method of engaging customers and what they need. And I mean that sincerely. So I'm happy to talk to anybody offline on that. Appreciate that. Steve, let me give you an opportunity as well. Yeah, I agree with everything uh, pretty much being said here. It's, uh, it really is the relationships. And uh, we've been with Satera about eight years now. And, uh, you know, the in-person meetings, the program managers meetings with best practices, the, the circle of excellent meetings. I mean, really everything we do, it's just geared to just make everything work a little bit better, you know, and, and, you know, the, the technology that, that's, that's come online over the last three or four years has been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I'd put our technologies, terrorist technology against anybody out there right now. So, 
um, yeah, you guys have done a great job and we really appreciate everything. So thanks a lot. I, I appreciate all those comments. And before I give Leanne a moment to, to respond, let me also add my own experience. Uh, over the past 20 something years, I have been a partner with Zotera in three different, with three different insurance companies providing um, you know, product from a manufacturer's perspective before I started doing what I'm doing now. And in each and every situation, it has been a true partnership. Um, we were always working together to, for the common goal of um, the Satara clients. So, Leanne, let it, uh, take it home on this for us. Hey, wait, wait, Leanne, before oh, you... Wait a minute, I'm sorry. Scott has something. I too. have to say, for those of you listening on the podcast, you're, you're missing the visual because if you can see the way Leanne has been just glowing during the last 15 minutes, it's been awesome. So, before I hand it over to you, Leanne... I love that smile. So take it away. <laughs> well, I, I love all the clients that are on our call today. So Rich, Dan, Jim, and Steve, can't thank you enough for your kind words, but most importantly, your partnership and friendship. We are a company that believes in relationships, and we are grateful that 70% of our clients have been with us 10 plus years. So we want to continue to do everything we can every single day can, to earn your trust. And we can't thank you enough because a partnership takes two. And uh, I love the fact when we can meet again in person so we can uh, celebrate all your success. So again, thanks for everything. And Bob and Scott, thanks for hosting today. Hey, our, our pleasure. And it's been, uh, it's been a great discussion and we appreciate all the time that you've all spent with us and, and, and the fact that you've, you know, you've, you've shared your success stories with our, with our channel through this podcast. That, that's always very appreciated. Cause I think, you know, if we, if we share our, our business intelligence as teammates in the big picture in the channel, we'll help our channel be more competitive because we're in a big industry and we need to get better and better. And, and through partnerships like you guys are, are speaking about, um, that that will happen. So so thank you all. So Bob, why don't you give us uh, the wrap up comments? Thank you so much, and thank you to our panelists, to all six of our panelists, to Satera, who is our sponsor today, and to our listeners. To our listeners, please subscribe to this podcast series. It's the industry leadership and success, and our other two, Untangling FinTech and the BISA Industry Trend Watch. All are available wherever you get your podcasts. So thank you for listening. And remember, only the adaptable survive. Thank you. Yeah. All. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, everybody. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Industry Leadership and Success. We hope you found the discussion enjoyable and valuable. Also, don't forget to check out our two other podcast series, Untangling FinTech and BISA Industry Trend Watch. Finally, we'd like to again thank the executives who joined us today and also express a sincere appreciation to our good friends at Satera for their support of this podcast. Working with the Satera team is always a pleasure. Please subscribe to our podcast and join us again for future episodes. <laughs>